And the problem with just focusing everything we do is checking the box as a success. The problem with that is it inherently turns into who does it first, faster, better, you know, and, and so then we get into that, like you said, that race of getting the perfect score, who did it first, best. And that is that completely heads children in a different direction than what we want them to have at the end, which is that intelligence taking. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Up Podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm excited today because I have on Dr. Laura Jana. Dr. Jana is an internationally acclaimed pediatrician, award-winning author, and renowned health communicator and parenting expert. Having most recently served as the Director of Innovation and Public Health at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, she now holds a faculty appointment at Penn State University's Pierce Prevention Research Center. What we talk about today is how the developing brain is a lot like a startup and Man, when I heard that, she had me at hello. So this conversation, we have went way too much fun. Um, she is just as passionate about talking about this stuff as I am. Uh, matter of fact, I think I've had my enthusiasm met and matched. Not that it was a competition, but boy, did she bring the passion. Um, so we also get a little bit into the toddler brain, her new book. It's simply amazing. So uh, if you're a parent with a little one, this is really good. If you're an educator, uh, her feelings on the testing culture are, I just wanted to kept shouting amen from the rooftops. Uh, so I know that you're going to enjoy this one. If you uh, want to do me a favor, if you want to uh, share this, that is how we grow. This is how I really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, also, like always, if you have a recommendation for another guest, please let me know, Don at StartEdUpInnovation.com. And uh, man, I really appreciate those. I've had a lot of recommendations come in here recently. And matter of fact, this this episode was off of an uh, email recommendation I got a couple weeks ago. So without further ado, Dr. Laura Jana. All right, now I'm joined with Laura Jana. Laura, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so we had a mutual friend introduce us, and that's one of the things I love about this show is I get introduced to really cool people like you. You've done quite a bit um, from your books. Actually, you have a new book out, The Toddler Brain, uh, Nurture the Skills Today That Will Shape Your Child's Tomorrow. You've also, I, I, the first thing I stumbled across was, uh, I think it was your TED Talk in Omaha, and you had me at hello when you were talking about um, how sometimes startups are ran and that maybe you should think about running your child <laughs> and, and, you know, how do you upbring them in a certain similar way? And I was like, oh my gosh, she's speaking my language. So I, I'm flattered that you're on and, and uh, I really want to want to dig deep into this. Well, great. I'm glad that I, I caught you with that one because it was intentional in that it's not as straightforward as people think to, to argue the case that maybe we should have like a startup of your baby approach because that really turns some people off completely and, and really get the attention of others. And that was sort of the intent was to start the conversation. No, but it made so much sense because I mean, you know, <laughs> everything a startup does is, you know, trial and error and gathering data. And I have yet to meet a baby that, you know, walked on its first step. <laughs> and, and well, you know, exactly. And if you think about what's the really positive aspects of startups, right? When you go into it, you don't necessarily have the whole lay of the land. A lot of the experiences are going to be new. And and you want to be intentional about what you're doing, but be able to adapt quickly. And, and you know, having spent my career, so as a pediatrician, I have three children of my own. I've done parenting. I've done early education. 
I said, you know, why is it that the one area of our lives where we seem to have been lacking in sort of this intentionality, not in a bad way, not in a flashcards for babies kind of way, but in a what do we really want for our children and what do we know about what is the best way to get there? That is what I'm going after with this idea of you take the brain science. We know so much more about what happens in the first five years, and we can use that to be intentional about developing skills and, and having you know sort of success for our kids right from the very start. Yeah, I I, I really appreciate that insight because um, you know as a person that enjoys the entrepreneurial venture, seeing the parallels was was pretty interesting. The other thing that I've liked about some of your mission is that you you see it as a journey and um I, I i just love the brain science so much on it there's so many practical steps parents can take now to develop your child into something wonderful as opposed to you know passively um you know have them flip on an ipad or things of that nature um so let's 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 dive in let's dive into that um the toddler brain is your newest book um, and, and we can go over some of the many others that you have out there, but what I'm wanting to focus down today is the toddler brain. Um, why did you decide to write this comprehensive book? Well, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that we've just touched on, and it also relates to the very first book I wrote over 15 years ago called Heading Home with Your Newborn from Birth to Reality. And so I've always been into this sort of what is the reality of parenting? Where can really good science and pediatrics and, and, and research get translated into that very practical, tangible, everyday realm of, of parenting and raising children. And, you know, having spent the last 15 years being introduced as the person who wrote the owner's manual that we all wish babies came with, right? Because heading home with your newborn was, is, was the, it's in, in essence, the nuts and bolts, you know, the clothing, crying, car seat, diaper, fever, you know, feeding sorts of things. And I said, but, you know, if I look around what's going on in the world today, including sort of this entrepreneurial big picture, what's happening and what are all these major shifts happening, it occurred to me that an owner's manual doesn't get you as far as it used to, right? I mean, as somebody who was trying to write sort of an equivalent, I couldn't include everything that was going to happen and everything a parent should do about it because it's changing quickly. And that's where I got to this idea of perhaps what parents need is more of a strategic plan. You know, how do we become intentional about what we're doing, knowing that we don't have all the answers and we can't possibly have all the answers, but how do we sort of take the, the approach of we can we know where we want to you know where we want our kids to end up and then we can adapt as things come our way that is the strategy and 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 the other part of this when it comes to why did i sit down to write the toddler brain was because all of a sudden it became really clear to me like so obvious that i even asked myself why was i writing this book and who was coming here but in as somebody who somewhat uniquely straddles the world of early childhood pediatrics parenting education and business innovation technology. And all of a sudden I realized that these worlds were circling around the same core skills, but using different language, not even speaking each other's language. And I went, wait a minute, if we're talking about 21st century skill development and the, whether it's the concern or the excitement about what skills we now know everyone needs to succeed in the 21st century, what my aha was, first of all, we're all talking about the exact same toolkit of skills. But I happen to live and work in the world of everyone who's supposed to be developing and assembling that toolkit because the early brain science now is so strong about the importance of the first five years. 
Okay, so let me pin you down. So I loved everything okay. you just said. I also just love some of your background. I mean, my gosh, you, you work, you're director of innovation and public health, University of Nebraska. You've got all these insights on the child brain. My problem is, you know, I, I run this innovation class and I try to get high school and actually I, I'm pretty proud of it. So I get high schoolers to find their creativity again. I get high schoolers that want to be innovative again. Now, why do I say, and you know why I'm saying again, I because <laughs> I have, because I have to awaken their inner kindergartner because from, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this to be mean, but like from third grade until high school, it, it was left behind. And, and, and it's driving me crazy because all this great work that you guys are doing to, to get us from, you know, newborn to kindergarten, they're alive, they're, they love school, they love unstructured play. And then at some point we make this decision to say, yes, stop sit down, right. shut up, do this test. And that is the only measure of what we were. And I, oh, exactly. it so, you know, it's, it's interesting because you and I both then have been watching what's happening in education and what sort of innovation there is in that space. And what I, you know, in addition to sort of looking at the two far ends, you know, early childhood and then life outcomes, workforce, all of those sorts of things. What's in between when you go to K-12 education and higher education, we see both the frustration you just described um, and the opportunity in shifting, you know, so that we are having to awaken the inner kindergartner, but we let that, that sort of those skills and those abilities, you know, imagination and creativity and, and innovation, let them sort of blossom and sort of squelch them between somewhere between kindergartners and going out into the real world. And that, that's where, you know, I, I tell people it's interesting. The book, I, de I debated, I was not a fan of the title, The Toddler Brain. And I'll tell you why. On the one hand, I also, you know, I worked in a neuroscience lab. I actually almost became a neurosurgeon. So I've loved the neuroscience from way back, right, in my medical training. Um, what I keep telling people is the neuroscience caught up, right? Our ability to visualize the literal connecting of neurons in the developing brain based on interactions with caring responsive adults means that when I tell people early literacy is really important and reading aloud in books with babies is important, we now have tangible evidence right down to like neuroimaging level. But the reason I didn't like the title, you know, necessarily was because it makes it seem like we're just talking about early childhood. What I'm talking about is the foundational development of lifelong skills. And I'm making the point that as the conversation was building in K-12 and in higher education and certainly in innovation for jobs circles, that we're overlooking perhaps the biggest and most foundational opportunity because it starts earlier, right? We now know that the skills that we care about, and I always say, take your pick, communication, collaboration, teamwork, adaptability, resilience, creativity, all of them, and as you saw in the toddler brain, all of them distill down, first of all, into these core skills that all have their foundational development in the first five years. And that in some cases, we can really actively cultivate. And in others, we just need to not squelch them, you know, before kids go out and get to use them. And that gets back to your awakening the inner kindergartner. <sighs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's I, I, bigger and bigger as an idea. I kept going, wow, this is really getting to be big because it kept showing up in everything as soon as yeah. I sort of dug in. Well, I, I think that what's scaring me, um, and I'm not going to pretend like, you know, we're the epicenter, but the, the, um, 
the you know the 21st century skills was which by the way we're we're 17 almost 18 years into the 21st century um <laughs> so when people are like do 21st century skills uh, but but these things we talk about um I, I like i don't when schools have been uh trying to do them sometimes it's to catch the buzzword now i've seen some schools and 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 I, I have worked with so many great superintendents and, and teachers lately that I, I'm starting to see a shift somewhat, but I still see a lot of schools that are like, you know, we're really innovative because we have a 3D printer and you're like, okay, so what right. have the students done with it? Well, they're not allowed to touch it. Um, I, 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 I see this, like this new wave of, of the buzzword coming, but I, I'm, I'm really hoping that... Um, we, we get them to do more, you know, all these things that you pointed out. I, I totally agree. What keeps me up at night is that if, if we like the world has shifted so much, like their job prospects are now so vastly different from what we're training them to do. You know, the, the right. traditional college experience and I, and I'm not anti-college. I promise you I'm not, but I I've, <laughs> I've talked to so many students that have left college and, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but they don't have skills. Like, right. you know, well, they, they, they've memorized things and, and, and that's awesome, but not necessarily some skills. So one of the, fun, you're raising a really good point. And one of the things I've found in all the research I've done in this space is that people use the word skills differently. And what I, you know, what I have focused on when I said there's these seven key skills that every child needs to succeed in today's world you know, I saw saw a post and it was coming from the business entrepreneurial innovation world saying we're focusing on the wrong thing if we're focusing on skills. And I thought, well, I better take it, I better check this out. What the person was actually talking about was that we have thought of skills as sort of the rote memorization, very specific, you know, if you're gonna be a doctor, you need this skill, and if you're gonna be a lawyer, you need these skills and as opposed to what you know, what I've called skills really is this shift towards what are the abilities. And this gets back to the difference between an owner's manual and a strategic plan, which is if I, I looked at skills as how do you approach things, you know, how do you approach learning? And that lets you become very flexible, which is one of the things we need is adaptability and agility. And, and again, you know, the shift towards the one thing that we know is going to come is change, right? That's the only thing that we're really sure about predicting for the future is change. So that's where you say, okay. I, I always ask, I like to tell people, I was really good at memorizing things, which served me really well in medical school, right? I mean, I could memorize facts with the best of them, and it made me look really smart, and it was useful until we all had smartphones in our pockets, right? And then I'm not far ahead of anyone else because everybody has access to information. So one of the unique things that I tried to do in the toddler brain, and it's very interesting because dealing with parents and early childhood, there are people who are horrified at the thought that I'm going to mention what's going on in the bigger world, in jobs and workforce, because that just seems so opposite of the warm and fuzzy nature of early childhood. But what I tried to do is capture for parents who admittedly do not have a lot of time to read books in the first five years and say, look up for just a minute, look ahead and say, where are you trying to get your children? What is your goal for your child? And, it, you know, it's safe to assume that every parent wants their children to succeed, you know, in their life. And, and they can define success how they like. But that sort of forward thinking, you have to look up and say, the world's shifting. And the way I've likened this is to, you know, I said, it's somewhat like we've been parenting by quarterly earnings, to use the business expression which makes sense, right? We focused on the day-to-day, short-term clothing, crying, car seat, diaper 
um, challenges and we, and we work to meet those challenges, but we forget to look up. And I said, that's sort of like this sort of, uh, I said, it's a parenting ailment I called breath holding, which is you put your head down, hold your breath up and look up 18 years later and say, did I get them there? (laughs) And all I have to do to cross between these two realms is say 18 years ago, no iPhones, iPads. Okay. So if you put your head down and you just parent the way we've been parenting with the same skills, you know, the sort of rote memorization IQ like skills alone, you're going to get your kids out into the real world as adults. And, and it's obvious that they won't have the skills because the world shifted. And the, the, um, the quote that or statistic that I like to use on that one that really captures people's attention is that what if I were to tell you that 65% of children in elementary school today will work in jobs that don't currently exist? Right yeah. now, what skills do you want them to have? And it completely yeah. changes not just the structure in this discussion about how innovative are people, and is it just a three, you know you own a three D printer, you know now you're innovative. It's it's really innovation in shifting mindsets and the way yep. the, sort of the overlay the way we approach it. That yep. is what I was trying to accomplish um, with this shift in, in focus on skills. Yeah, I mean on that. <laughs> Because I, I I had a guest on earlier in the year, and he was a, a company that specializes in IoT. And if you man, if you want to lose sleep at night, um, you know, machine learning and Internet of Things and you know, artificial intelligence, it, it's scary. And he even circled back on, okay, then let's talk about what's not going to be replaced in the next twenty years. And it's the very things you're talking about, yeah. You know, like, and, and the thing is, like, we we have two opposing forces. Like, we have Netflix, and we have innovation we have passive binge watching we have Mm -hmm. let's just scroll through things and then we have hey we're wanting doers we're wanting people that connect in person we're wanting people to see pattern recognitions we're wanting to find you know have people find their own opportunities in everything we're wanting people that can observe and and pick out unique traits or we have this now really really passive society And, and it's scary laura it's frightening. It is scary. It, and, and this is where, you know, I, as somebody who has spent 20 years talking to working with parents, you know, as, you know, as, in, as a capacity as a pediatrician, um, I owned an educational child care center for 20 years. I've done parenting and health communication work. Um, it occurred to me that if you were going to pick a group of people who most need to know what's going on in the world, right? Because if your goal as a parent is to prepare your child for the world, you need to who are the least equipped and understandably so, right? Like don't have time to, you know, get into internet of things and machine learning and AI and things like that. I, you know, as somebody who also goes to TED, so I go to the main TED conference and I always say, so in TED world, that's where you get this big dose of what's coming, right? I mean, among other places. And, and so all I was seeing those exact same things that you and your guests discussed, you know, earlier in the year. And I thought, Parents aren't looking at these things for the most part. And if they are, it's completely separate. A lot of parents are seeing it in their everyday lives in all other capacities, but then defaulting back into a traditional approach to parenting and education. And, you know, I I spent a lot of time in early education and childcare, which was still being treated. It's been under-recognized as a profession and it's working very quickly. You know, how do we professionalize a field which may have more importance and more relevance to future life outcomes? than college, right? What if those first five years and investing in those first five years um, is proving to have more impact on future life outcomes in large part because of development of these skills 
than a college education. And again, I'm not anti-college either, right? I think there's lots of value, but I see these shifts as being very necessary. And um, we should not forget the first five years and, and the, the work that can be done there to really cultivate and, and foster these skills. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's even parent training as well. I mean, when you're fostering these skills, you're honing your own skills too. I remember... Um, I met Dr. John Medina uh, years back, and he was talking about the great lengths that his mother went to to create an enriching environment in his room. And he, like his bedroom was dinosaurs. You step back in time. And like she did that for the benefit of John, but she did that for the benefit of her. You know, like, like once you start to realize like, hey, I'm trying to create a, a well-balanced child, an intelligent child. I think that uh, some of these things you go through, I think, are, are great parenting uh, tools to make yourself better as well. Well, I agree. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because if somebody just were to listen to the conversation that you and I have just had, and I, I see this because of the TED Talk I've given, it's really interesting to look at comments. And everyone says, oh, don't look at the negative comments. There's always... There's a very small percentage, but here's the thing. It does not surprise me in the least that the reaction people have is almost visceral, right? Like a gut reaction to the, it is so distasteful in our culture and the way we've approached young children to talk about intentional skill building and, you know, future workforce, because they see us as like, you know, now we're contaminating the last remains of of purity and warm, fuzzy, you know, love babies and coo and talk and things. The irony here is that in all of what we've just discussed, when we bring it down to the tangible level, and remember a lot of what I've done in my professional career has been about practical, tangible, reality-based parenting. How do we take what we know and make it practical? You want to know what the practical translates to in this case? Talking, cooing, singing, reading books to babies, eye contact, interactions, and exactly the kind of environment that you're describing, which is it's not about the dinosaurs themselves. It's about how do we capture people's interest, and, and in this case, young people, but what are they, you know, what are they interested in, what engages them, and then how do we use that content, which it's not content-focused, but we use what engages them to enhance skill building and things. Tell me, how is that different than the business literature? You know, engage, don't tamper, and and employee engagement increases productivity. The parallels are striking, and I think what we're getting at is human nature. I just deal on the end of human nature where it's the foundational development, Um, but we see it applied not just in business. I just took that because I tried to make, you know, they seem so far apart from each other. Um, that it's it, and, and it, it's been very interesting since I wrote the toddler brain to realize how close together they are, but trying to find common language and translate the two areas. I've I've you know this year spent time talking to groups that I never would have been in front of before, including giving a keynote at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and giving the same talk in the U.K. to the National Early Educators Group. Same talk, right? We're talking about the same skills. That has been really striking to me, but distilling it down into practical terms, it's making the case for the talking, cooing, singing, and reading books to babies that I've been doing for 20 years. This just seems to be resonating across a lot of really important realms. Well, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I look at uh, Google's headquarters, you know, it looks like a, a really cool playground. It's really interactive. It, I mean, other than <laughs> some of the, the cooing and holding, holding uh, it, it's it's enriched uh, atmosphere. It's it's It encourages play. Um, matter of fact, when you're talking about some of these things, it also reminded me of uh, some of the flow state triggers that I had read with uh, uh, Stephen Kotler. 
You know, some of these things yeah. are just, they're just great things to have, period. Um, that, you know, as your well, child, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say, here's where what you're picking up on is exactly once I started looking for it, it was so stunningly obvious that I went, how did I not see this before? Does everybody else see this? But examples that you've just given, add to them, for example, you know, you've got Google's headquarters, but companies like Google and SAP with chief mindfulness officers or equivalents, right? So mindfulness, well, at its core, that's self-control, self-awareness, right? And and, and so impulse control and things. and, And you know what that is? You know when it has one of its most rapid rates of development as a skill? In the first five years, between age three to five. And that's because, and, and you know, the example I like to give, by the way, to tie it really well together with the business world is that Peter Drucker said that the 20th century was the era of business management and that the 21st century is going to be the era of self-management. Okay, so that makes That's sense. Cool. Yeah. And all I have to do to draw that together is say, right, and in my world of early childhood, a good self-management day is when no one bites their friends, right? Because that's impulse control, which conveniently is one of the three defining features of executive function skills, conveniently named executive function skills. Peak rate of development, age three to five. And I always say that's how you get from Peter Drucker business 21st century straight down into the tangible, practical aspects of early childhood development and why we care. Okay. So um, traditionally I have a lot of, uh, well, actually I've got two unique audiences. I've got a, a fair amount of startup fan enthusiasts that listen and also have a, a, a healthy amount of teachers listening to this. Let's just say that uh, they're, they're teaching well, we, we can go high school, middle school, or elementary school. What are a couple of things that would foster some of these um, traits you're looking for? I mean, even like you said, past five, it, it's not going to develop quite as quick. But what are some really great things we can foster in our classroom that will spark that curiosity and innovation? So... There's, there's, you know, what I did was I broke it down into these seven key skills. And, and as you probably saw, I, I use the word key intentionally because it sounds like K-E-Y and has that meaning, but I called them Q-I, like chi or key skills, because the first thing is to recognize what skills are we after. And that's for anybody teaching, working with children, working with employees, right? So it crosses both audiences. But if we're going to talk about those skills, for example, why, you know, that's what the third skill is why simple, you don't have to look it up, you can already tell what it's going to be. And that's questioning and curiosity. If you look at how you approach, whether you're working with students, whether you're working with employees, is do we in our day-to-day interactions foster and, and appreciate and reward curiosity? And granted, you know, and I always use the example of like a three-year-old, there are skills you'd like to teach children about, you know, honing in their curiosity to the extent that it makes it so you can function in a group, right? Not interrupt, not all the time, listen to answers, not just ask questions, but making sure you don't squelch it. And so here's where I see in teaching, for example, once there's, you know, once there's pressure to get the right answer, perceived or real, then it's the, and, and if there are people who are really set on using a particular method to get there, right, then if a child or an employee either questions about a new way to do it a different way, if it just because as a teacher, you don't know that, you know, that route, you haven't thought about it, that's not the way you were teaching it. You know, my three kids, I, it was very interesting, math was actually going to be my major, believe it or not, when I was in college. And, and so I love math, and I loved playing with numbers. 
And my kids would come home. They're now all teenagers. and um, But they would come home in elementary school and in middle school with math problems. And I'd say, oh, well, what if you do this? And they'd say, no, can't do it that way. They told us that we had to do it this way. Well, what if you questioned that? Say, well, wait, why can't we do it this way? A lot of times the people in charge, you know, teachers, whether that's the employers or the teachers, don't like that line of, of, of questioning, right? It, it derails what their plans were. That's the mind shift that where you said that it takes the skills on our part as parents, teachers, employers to shift how we look at it to say, well, there's value in that. I used to, as the owner, you know, I had 45 um, teachers and, and staff working for me at the school that I owned. And I used to say, listen, I would love it. I will celebrate you if you come up with a different way to do it than the way I just asked you to. Right. It doesn't have to be my way, but we are trying to achieve a goal. That's the intentionality of it. Does that help in terms of giving you a tangible sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, But I also say when you start talking earlier about the mind shift change, there also has to be a mind shift in the educator's mind as well, because and, and look, I get it. I mean, look. I've been a teacher now for 20 years. Sometimes the kid that always questions why or can I do it a different way, it stresses you out. But it's one of these skills we're wanting to hone. Um, just, you know, I, I think I have a different way around it. Fight the urge to say, no, this is the only way we do it. <laughs> and don't try to streamline right. everything. Let them find and alternative paths. Yeah. And you know this, and what you just said could have been exactly word for word the same as what a parent would say with a child who asks a thousand yeah. questions. Yeah, because I said and, you so. Know, at the end of the day, yeah. right? Yep. You're all tired and you're just like, you resort to just stop asking so many questions no, just because I said so. Done. Yeah, I mean, this is the double edged sword. I mean, I, I uh, one, actually, one of our, our um, I have our company started up. We have a, a teacher on board, Jamal, uh, and Jamal is trying to be innovative. Actually, not trying, he's doing great things. But he is at a school where compliance has to come first because it's there's fights, sure. there's violence, uh, you know, instilling that safety, it takes, you know, precedent first, then they can be innovative. And I, and I get that. And, and even with parents, like, because I said so, sometimes it's safety. Because I said so, it's and- just I'm sensible. But, you know, there's... There's wiggle. Well, and this is where you're, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head with this, which is actually a core principle in child development. And when you look at Piaget and you look at all these different sort of theories, safety is first, right? I mean, we need to feel safe and secure. So it's, this is not a recommendation for no boundaries for children, right? In fact, children can be more engaged and more creative and more curious. I am so glad they you said that. Some, some yep. structure. So yeah. the challenge is to not let the pendulum swing too far in either direction. And the case that I make, you know, I, I mentioned that I called these seven skills key skills, QI. Um, but the case I make is that if you look at where we've focused in, the, in decades past, right, over the last several decades, it's been on this sort of cognitive reading, writing, arithmetic, fact-based sort of knowledge. And, and I called those, for convenience sake, I called those the IQ skills. Okay. And what I have to start out with when I present this is I am not saying that they are not important. Reading, writing, and arithmetic are still very important, but not at the complete exclusion of all these other skills and the challenges that we've called them soft, non-cognitive, and other. And, you know, I, I make a joke out of it, but I'm not joking when I say they are not soft because if you want someone to take something seriously, yes. there's hard and soft. Hard. And I, having trained in the biomedical sciences, That's hard science, and it earned me a lot of respect, right? If I said I trained in the soft sciences, that doesn't do do justice. Then you get to non-cognitive, and this is where the brain science gets very exciting. 
but absolutely proves that that's a misnomer. There are just complex brain science with the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and all these you know, parts of the brain that we now know are actively involved in this sort of complex executive function skill development that makes that complete misnomer. And, I, and then I always say, and here's if somebody who's done 15 years worth of national media, right? I can assure you that if you want to catch people's attention and convince them that something is important, don't call it other. Right. So that's where what I start with is saying I the key skills are the complement to the IQ skills. Both are important and there's time and place for I said no. And that's it. No discussion, especially for safety. The point I make in the book, right, when I'm talking about that particular and, and challenge with early, you know, early childhood in particular, which is if you don't say an immediate no, you're talking about whether a child can, you know, break a limb, stick something in an electrical socket, do something, you know, very dangerous. But I think we've overdone it, right? Because I can't tell you the number of times I hear parents in my school walking out the doors and say, don't run, right? Or out on the playground, don't run. And I kept thinking to myself, don't run on broken glass. Don't run across, you know, a busy intersection. Don't run in a quiet library where running is not allowed. But we've gone so far on that. Well, but if you run, you might fall. Um, that we've overdone that safety element. Safety and predictability and routine is important as insofar as it gives children and adults a framework in which they can then freely explore and be creative and, yes. and be curious. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting, which is kind of alluding to your, I think, was a skill six on the wobble. Like there's there's sometimes where parents just want to be super parents and they don't want their kids to fail or mess up or skin their knee. And I, I man, I... Let's see, I was born in 1972. So, I mean, my mom and dad were, you know, <laughs> go ahead, Donnie. <laughs> you know, if you get right, hurt, oh, if, you, if, you, yeah, if you get hurt, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you get hurt, you're going to learn. And and that's just it. And then we kind of. And listen, into- I, had, I, had two pediat- I had two pediatrician parents and we were just outside playing, doing your thing. There was no, you know, specific oversight. And they were acutely aware of the potential for injuries. But there was yeah. not this like, I don't want you to run because I don't want you to fall. Right. Well, and then then I see now the the mounting pressures that, you know, is the SAT prep and your child has to have the perfect score if they want to get into that perfect college. And sometimes the parents are are really doubling down on the pressure and you know, failure is not an option kind of thing. And, and that's, right. and that's and sad. And I understand it. I really do. You know, if you want your kid to get into that college, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yep. But at the cost of what? And And I think that's that was one of our biggest hurdles we had to get over in, in this crazy innovation class is like, look, I really don't care about the grade. I want you to learn. I want you to create. I want you to trial. I want you to error. If it, I want you to pivot. If it doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what do you mean? There is no try and error. There's just do. There's just A. And that was a, a, a psychological barrier. Now, the hard thing is once you – and this is where sometimes – that classic culture meets and collides with the new culture is that I'll have some kids that will then, uh, you know, unrelease, you know, get out of the shackles of, I, I have to get a perfect GPA. And then sometimes their grades go down in other classes because they're right. in love with learning, <laughs> not necessarily compliance. Right. And then I hear it from parents like, uh, my son now questions everything. Thank you. 
right. Mr. West. And I'm like, right, I'm exactly. sorry, <laughs> sorry. But I'm like, I'm, I'm happy. Um, oh, heck, I have three, so, I have so three this kids. Is where I, was, I was trying to help inform this discussion and yeah. this struggle, right? And, you know, you mentioned wobble skills, which is my sixth skill. And it's actually one of my favorites in that, um, first of all, you know, the reference wobble, I was trying to come up with very easy to remember names because having to look up the definitions of executive function skills and social, emotional and emotional intelligence, and people use them interchangeably when they're not, but they're all interconnected. This was meant to be that once I tell you what it means, you will never have to look it up again. And wobble is a reference to weebles wobble, but they don't fall down, which is some degree, allow for some degree of failure, right? Not massive failure. So that gets to the whole discussion around intelligent risk-taking, right? It's not all risk-taking. This isn't biking down a hill barefoot with the wind blowing through your hair without a helmet on in the middle of the street. It's intelligent risk-taking. And so what you're describing, what I did was I carried that down into the earliest years and where we are not doing a great job of laying that foundation. And here's why. I mean, first of all, I I jokingly tell people, but I'm not joking because it actually, I'm told that the unofficial motto of Silicon Valley is fail early, fail often, fail forward. Okay. Now think about that in the context of children, and we are failing at it, right? We're not failing or letting our kids fail early, often, and forward because we don't want them to fail. And, you know, each of the chapters in the toddler brain, what I did was I looked at these seven skills, and I actually started from a business, jobs, real-world perspective. Who's doing what in this space, you know, whether it's Peter Drucker or chief mindfulness officer or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then I drop it down and I say, let me show you what those same coveted skills look like in the first five years. So for each one, like any good pediatrician would, I, I presented the developmental milestones of that skill, right? Actually, I, you know, we, we presented the milestones in the context of these skills. So when we get to wobble, right, what you and I have just been talking about, and I say to people, okay, tell me what you think the developmental milestones, just bread and butter routine, what kids do learn, are able to do in the first five years. What are the developmental milestones of wobble? And then I always have to say, don't think, stop thinking so hard. Everyone's racking their brains because there are none. And you want to know why? Because milestones are successes, right? And the problem with just focusing everything we do is checking the box as a success. First of all, it starts really early. It is ingrained in the way we look at children, right? Check the box. They've they've achieved this milestone. Move on to the next one. Um, The problem with that is it inherently turns into who does it first, faster, better, you know? And, and so then we get into that, like you said, that race of getting the perfect score, who did it first, best. And that is that completely heads children in a different direction than what we want them to have in the end, which is that intelligent risk-taking. And then the last thing before you can give me a bit, I was going to say, I don't want to forget to tell you, I actually heard a quote of what a teacher, and this was a Silicon Valley kindergarten teacher, um, used an expression in class that I've not heard a teacher willing to use because it's a little risky, right? When you're trying to manage a class of 24, five-year-olds, right? But she would say, hip, hip, hooray, we have a risk taker in class today. And I was like, I have not not heard that celebrated, whether it's a parent or a teacher, because you have to have limits when you're going to say that. And you have to have intelligent risk taking in mind, not just the person who doesn't follow the rules. But yeah. There you go. So that's the how do we yeah. celebrate failure? Drop down into the first five years. Uh, I like that, especially at that age. And I could see how yeah. people take it wrong or whatever. And and honestly, like we, you know, I've ran into some problems where some of my students really, really enjoy risk taking um, at an intellectual level, <laughs> not at, not at a jump off of a perfectly good plane level. 
Um, and, and, and well, heck, I, I'm, I'm married to a non-risk taker. You know, Alicia every now and then was like, hey, 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 are you sure you want, you know, the kids to do this? Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, and, and by the way, I'll tell you, when I was working on that chapter, what was most striking, you know, I did the framework around children, but what was most striking is when I took it to Fortune 500 CEO, you know, um, or C-suite level, um, people at the Fortune 500, and, and I said, how does this resonate? I'm trying to capture the essence in both worlds. They said, this skill is the one that I want to hire for, right? Because it's the, I know all your successes. I get a hundred applications a day. This is you know somebody who oversees HR for a yeah. 500 company said, I oversee all the hiring and I get a hundred applications a day with all these great accomplishments and skills. And my next question is great. So you've passed that test. Now, what are you going to do when you fail? Because I guarantee you, you're going to fail twice a week while you're working here. And I can't have somebody who falls apart the first time they fail. That is where he actually started using this idea of wobble skills in his day-to-day discussions. Like, I want to hire this person. They have great wobble skills. Or this is why this person's doing so well, new on the job. Well, they're passionate. They're right. And I mean, like... I've often said this, you know, like um, some of the, some of the only pushback I've gotten, uh, especially on the podcast, is like, "Hey, Don, not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur." I'm like, "Absolutely, you're right, but we all need to think like one." You, right. you know, the, the, the keep and your head down, do as little as possible. Don't try to, you know, to shake the the, the cage too much. Like, no one's looking for that now. And they, they don't, they don't need it. And if you want to stand out, I mean, it's the linchpin mentality of Seth Godin. I mean, it's like you provide value, you take some risks, you lead the way. Everybody's looking for that. Everybody. And so can you work right. for a company and do that kind of thinking? Absolutely. I don't, I don't want everybody to say, Oh, to heck with, you know, Johnson and Johnson or, you know, IBM or whatever. There's great places. Just think like an entrepreneur sure. first and not just a hourly employee. Sure. And you know, this is the, if you, if we, if we're going to run through, I'm going to give you the like one or two words for each of the seven skills. That's where people who have concerns, like not everybody's meant to be a computer coder, not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur or a business owner or whatever. Exactly. But when you think about what skills we're talking about, which cross all realms, I don't care what your job or purpose in life is. Here's what I distilled it down to. The me skills we talked about, right? Self-awareness, self-control, self-management. Um, the we skills are the people skills, relationships, perspective taking, active listening, right? Who does not want that or who does not need that in their daily lives? Why is questioning, right? Curiosity. Will is motivation and drive that stick with it, which people also really look for. It's hard to pin down, right? Grit, perseverance. Um, it's, it's hard to pin it down or test for it, but we all know we want it, whether you're a parent of a two-year-old, a teacher, or an employer. We all want that. Then there's the wiggle skills, which are interesting in that I've not heard anyone call them skills when you talk about wiggling, right, um, and, and, and being sort of physically restless. But what I found striking is um, that in the adult world, in the innovation world, almost uniformly, Across the board, people described, and this was from Reed Hoffman's Startup of You to Innovators DNA and that series, is innovators are physically restless, right? They're constantly moving, interacting with the world. And so all I had to tell people was physical and intellectual restlessness go hand in hand, especially in the earliest years. If you strap a baby in and they don't crawl, they don't touch, they don't put anything in their mouths, they don't do anything... 
that keeps them safe and they're less likely to choke on something or, you know, get into something, but you are impairing their ability to be inquisitive and, you know, sort of restless about exploring the world. So that's yeah. the wiggle skills, um, which, by the way, the adult, if you look in the adult world, walking meetings, treadmill desks, you know, corporate headquarters that look like playgrounds or play spaces. The irony that we're taking that away in, in children's classrooms because yep, we think yep. that an ideal pre-kindergarten classroom is where everybody's sitting crisscross applesauce, everybody's on their spot, everybody walks in a straight line, they write in the lines, they color in the lines. That ideal is is misguided looking at where we want them to end up eventually. And then, so we did wiggle, we've talked about wobble, and then what if? That's easy. That's creativity, innovation, imagination. And, and I, all I have to do is cite things like the global IBM survey of 1,500 CEOs. What's the most valued skill? Creativity. And we all know we want that. So that's where, you know, getting back to this comment of not everybody's born or meant to be an entrepreneur. No, but some of those skills that entrepreneurs have really honed in on are more universal than just entrepreneurial skills. Amen. <laughs> I'm over here nodding my head. No, I, I, I love this. <laughs> I love this. Well, actually, we could talk for hours. And I'm quite frankly, I'll, I'll um, if I could be so bold, I'm going to have you uh, call into my class one of these days. I, I, I love it, mostly because you see the broad picture. And, and what, what you've really done, um, which I love, is you, you've allowed parents that are a little nervous and they want the best for their kid to, in some cases, become a new student and saying, hey, arm your kid with these skills and also say, let go a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it's okay. And, and, and when they want to take a, a few risks here and there, it's absolutely part of the journey. So I love what you're doing. Uh, speaking of which, and I, I guess this is kind of a little bit of brag time for you. Um, <laughs> you are all over the place and you're doing all kinds of cool stuff. Um, first of all, let, tell people where they can find more information and then I'm going to go over some of these accolades. Well, easiest, although sometimes um, a bit neglected because of my busy schedule, is my website. So that's drlaurajana.com. Um, and it's just D-R-L-A-U-R-A-J-A-N-A. -A -A. Um, I also, you know, I maintain a Facebook page specific to this broad area because I found that there was nobody really making this information or articles um, accessible across this broad spectrum. And that's just on Facebook at, at you know, Dr. Laura Jana. And then also I'm on Twitter at KidDocJana, so K-I-D-D-O-C-J-A-N-A. -A. So that's the easiest way to find me is, is those three routes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's see. You're doing things with MIT. You're obviously at the <laughs> University of Nebraska. You've, you're on a board of directors at, uh, what's it, Primrose and Iowa State. <laughs> and what do you sleep these days? Or you, you, you said <laughs> you know, innovative people are restless and so <laughs> guilty. But uh, well, yeah. yeah, you know, and it's it's sort of interesting because if I were to tell you that I'm actually I err on the personality side of things towards structure and routine. If I said that in front of my husband, he would laugh, right? He would cut us off there and say, "Yeah, right." But the reality is that I'm pushing myself, um, and and just I'm actually giving myself some time, which is again, I always say I don't tell other people to do things that I can't do myself. Um, but I'm giving myself time to see where this goes because it, it's somewhat open-ended, right? And it's not all laid out for me. But what's, what's really reinforcing is to find out that not only, I mean, I certainly knew that this was likely to resonate in 
you know, child development, pediatrics, parenting, even into the neurosciences and the psychology. But the reaction I'm getting on the business, economics, you know, and, and, and different um, age groups, right? Higher education, K-12 education, um, that's where it's, I keep saying to my husband, who also says, first of all, that my, you know, when people ask where I live and, and he says, well, her mailing address is Omaha, right? Um, it's the, which part of this do I not do, right? I, I, and it's international. That's what's really striking is that these skills and this sort of framework is resonating. I've been in this last year, I've been in eight different countries and it resonates and it's sort of what everyone's sort of stumbling upon. And my goal is to give words and framework and sort of a shared understanding to it. Cause my bottom line is I care about kids and by caring about kids, I care about kids, families, communities, and life outcomes for children. I mean, I believe what are we all here for if we don't make a you know, better world for our children, help our children succeed in the world. And so it's wherever that takes me and it has been taking me to some pretty interesting places. Yeah. Well, Dr. Laura Jana, thank you so much for being on. Again, you can go check out her website. The book is The Toddler Brain, Nurture the Skills Today That Will Shape Your Child's Tomorrow. Uh, I sincerely appreciate, uh, number one, just confirming all these things that I believe. Not that I'm trying to do that on my show, but uh, no, it's just a breath of fresh air to, to, to have you find some of these gaps and some of these skills that that we're looking for in the innovation adult world and that they can be honed, uh, you know, from, from, you know, birth till, till five. So I sincerely, sincerely appreciate you being on. Well, thanks so much. And, you know, I have to say it's great to have someone like you out there looking at what is true innovation and pulling together a mix of ideas in the space. Cause again, it all comes back to with that information. I think people will really be able to feel empowered about helping kids succeed in today's world. So thank you as well. All right. Thanks so much. All right, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Again, if you want to give us some feedback, you can always go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash startedup, or you can always email me, don at startedupinnovation.com. Other than that, I thank you for listening. And remember, opportunities are everywhere. We'll see you.